Well, you know, there's a, <clears throat> a saying that's uh, popular. Um, uh, there's a meme about it and all this. F-A-F-O, uh, FAFO. Now, I'm not going to use the proper first word, but uh, fool around, find out is the is the concept. Um, <clears throat> NATO in Ukraine, which has allowed itself to be used as a proxy, fooled around, and they're about to find out. Um, you know, when this war first started, when, when we first talked, there was a lot of confusion, especially on my part. I'll be the first one to admit, um, man, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. I thought when Russia goes to war, Russia goes to war. Russia rolls in, steam rolls, pounds, etc. Um, and it just shows, you know, here I am, a Russian history major who spent my entire life studying Russia. And apparently I was unable to grasp the notion that Russia could actually um, be serious about loving Ukraine, that they didn't want this war. That, uh, I mean, I knew they didn't want it, but uh, again, war is war. I mean, I'm a Marine and uh, you you fire the, the green flare. I'm off to the races, baby. It's, uh, you know, all the training kicks in. You do what you got to do and it's going to get bloody. It's going to get and you're going to win quick. Um, the Russians didn't do that. And so there was a lot of confusion about what the heck was going on. Now that we've had a year, I think we can look at the first uh, month of this conflict from February 24th until roughly, you know, we'll call it a month and a half, or February 24th till April 1st. And what it, I think there's a lot more clarity now. Russia never intended to steamroll Ukraine, never intended at all. Russia was in a position where it felt it was compelled to force Ukraine into accepting the peace that Russia was offering before the war. Basically, a modification of the Minsk II agreement where the Donbass would have autonomy, but now because Ukraine pushed it too far, uh, it would be independence. Crimea would be forever Russia, and Ukraine would never join NATO. Those were the Russian objectives. Now, to get Ukraine to that, Russia made a military move. But this was a military move designed to create an impression as opposed to actually destroy. Even though Russia said we want to demilitarize and denazify, it was clear based upon the negotiations that took place, they weren't demanding either one of those. In fact, the final negotiation on March 6th that opened the, that paved the way for the April 1st meeting in Istanbul, Russia pretty much said, you can have your army. We're not going to demilitarize. You can have your army. You can have your government. We just need you to never join NATO. That's all we need. And that these agreements were made. Um, now we read into what the Russians did. For instance, convincing the Ukrainians that, Ru that the Russians were serious. Russia had taken a lot of territory. It was threatening Kiev. It had taken a lot of areas around Kharkov, Sumy. And suddenly the Russians withdraw. And a lot of people are going, that's because they're weak. That's because they got beat. And I didn't buy into that. But I, you know, I, I was like, well, they say they're withdrawing. I took it to mean that they are going to, look, I said from the beginning, they had insufficient resources for the task. And now we know why. If people are going, why did they start with 200,000 people? And now we know why. Because Putin and the leadership was very concerned about sanctions. I mean, today we can sit here and, and, and at the time I, I was very confident that Russia would beat the sanctions. But, you know, I'm sitting thousands of miles away. I don't have my pulse on the Russian economy. I think I do. I think I guessed right. But, you know, I don't have to pay the price if, if we're guessing wrong. The Russian, Putin gave a speech last year where he said, my guys were telling me 15, 20, 
uh, contraction of the economy. Hey, that's a lot. 25% contraction. And that, you know, remember James Carville advising Bill Clinton uh, back in the 92? Uh, it's the economy, stupid. And that holds everywhere. It's the economy, stupid. And Putin ain't stupid. And he knew that there would be economic problems. And so he had, he couldn't shock the system too much. Already they were anticipating an economic shock from the sanctions. Now they have to go through this special military operation, not a war, a special military operation, which means there's no mobilization. You're using a peacetime complement of forces. Um, why? Because with an economic shock, you can't shock the population with a mobilization and going to a war footing. Um, because now we know the war was not popular. The Russian people weren't buying. I mean, they, they understood about Donbass. They understood about the threat posed by uh, Ukraine and all that. But they weren't thrilled about going to war against Ukraine. And so there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of hesitation amongst the Russian people. And if you shock them with 25% con contraction of the economy and mobilization early on, you could get some problems. And I know there's people say, well, Putin's a dictator. What does he have to fear? He ain't a dictator, people. He's a democratically elected president. And um, he has to be concerned about the electorate, just like every other politician. So he couldn't shock that system. He had to play it slow. So they were trying to get them to the negotiating table, and it worked. I mean, in retrospect, if you take a look at what the Russians wanted to achieve and what they almost achieved, this was a brilliant operation flawlessly pulled off. I mean, there were some mistakes with the military going forward without flank protection, et cetera, but they achieved their military objective, objective, which apparently was to get Ukraine to the negotiating table to bring an early end to this conflict, which was always Russia's objective. But when April 1st came, Boris Johnson came also. And Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, put the kibosh on the peace deal. Now, we also have found out that apparently the Ukrainians were negotiating with the West and they were never serious about it. We have the head of the Ukrainian intelligence service saying it was a sham anyways, just like everything else was a sham. But the Russians believed it was real. The Russians thought they were going to get a peace treaty. The Russians thought that this war was going to end early on. Um, and this changes everything because what the mistake that was made by the West was misinterpreting the Russian withdrawal as a sign of weakness, that Russia had somehow been beaten. No. Russia was playing by its game plan. Russia got the Ukrainians to the table to end this war early. But it didn't happen because NATO said they're weak. NATO said, we're going to double down now, exploit Russia's weakness. And now we come to phase two where Russia said, well, if you don't want a peace treaty, we're going to focus on liberation of the Donbass, which they were doing. A lot of people don't realize that in June, the Ukrainian army was defeated, literally defeated on the field of battle. They were they were getting crushed. Uh, ground up, spit out, and it was all but over, except that NATO suddenly infused them with tens of billions of dollars worth of military equipment, financial resources that the Ukrainians were able to marry to manpower and create this 70,000-man strike force that they then launched a counterattack against the you know, insufficient Russian forces because Russia never mobilized. Russia wasn't ready for that war. Russia went on a special military operation against Ukraine. Russia was not prepared for a proxy war with NATO. And we saw that where the Russians had to withdraw from Kharkov, the right bank of Kherson. But then the Russians consolidated, and now we get the FAFO. Because now Russia said, 
we ain't playing this game anymore. It's no longer, we'll call it a special military operation, but it ain't. It's war. And we're mobilizing 300,000 troops. We have another, we don't know exactly how many volunteers came in. Some people say 100,000, some people say 180,000. Um, I'm thinking they probably have a total of 500,000 troops mobilized as a result of this. They cranked up their defense industry. They're, they're firing on all cylinders. They're pouring out tanks, artillery, the most modern equipment. So these 300, 500,000 are getting the best equipment. And they're take, everybody's like, when's the offensive going to be? When they finish training. When's the offensive? When they finish training. The Russians are actually training the troops to accomplish the task. And, uh, but the war didn't stop during this time. Even while this mobilization is taking place, the war is continuing. That same war that I told you Russia was winning in June, Russia was winning in November, December, January, February, right now. Russia's winning. Look at the casualty figures. These are ghastly ghastly. Zeluzhny, the, the head of the Ukrainian forces, apparently admitted to Mark Miley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, 275,000 dead, and he admitted that a month or so ago. Uh, the fighting's been even bloodier since then, so I'm guessing that that number is up over 300,000. I personally believe that you can add another 50,000 unaccounted for deaths that the Ukrainians don't want to acknowledge. 350,000 dead. Let's reflect on this. We're coming up to the one-year anniversary during the entire Second World War, the United States suffered 300,000 dead, yeah. fighting Japan and Germany. Ukraine has suffered 300,000 dead in conflict with Russia in one year. And by the time this is over, you might be able to double or triple that number. We could be looking at a quarter of a million Ukrainian dead by the time this is finished because F-A-F-O. The F-O is about to happen. Find out. The offensive has already started. Uh, people need to understand that, uh, you know, most offenses don't begin unless unless you're starting from the start. There's no war. Then there's going to be the green flare and across the line of departure you go, et cetera. They're already engaged in battle. The Russians have been advancing on Bakhmut since May. Um, you know, And so that battle's never stopped. And there's always been positional battles going on. But now as Russia starts to release forces into the battlefield, um, they're carrying out probing operations all along the offensive line in Zaporizhia, up by uh, Sumy now, they've got things going on, um, uh, Uledar and other areas. And what's happening is the Ukrainians um, are, are having to con you know, divert re reinforcements there. So they got very few reinforcements, reserves, and they have to go where the Russians are probing. And so the Russians are absorbing, forcing the Ukrainians to commit their reserves, and the Russians haven't even committed their main battle force yet. So they're probing, probing, crushing, crushing, identifying gaps. And when the time comes, the Russians are just, it's, it's just going to be this. It's like watching a, um, you know, a, a, a tidal wave come in sometimes. A lot of people think of the tidal wave as this giant wave come crashing in. It's actually a surge that comes up. If you, if you look at those horrible videos from uh, Thailand, just the surge comes up. And then it's just this relentless surge that cannot be stopped. And that's what's getting ready to happen to the Ukrainians a surge of Russian military offensive operations along the entire front will be taking place. Now, the Russians have said they are only interested in liberating, liberating at this point in time Russia, which means the right bank of Kherson will be Russian, Zaporizhia will be Russian, Donetsk, Lugansk will be Russian, but the Russians have put a little caveat on there. Back when we gave the Ukrainians the HIMARS, the high mobility artillery rocket system, uh, 80 kilometer range, the Russians went, well, 
Now it's going to be the territories plus 80, you see, because we have to keep you out of artillery range. We're never going to allow you to fire artillery shells into Russia again. So we're pushing you back for 80 kilometers beyond the borders. Congratulations, Zelensky. You just lost a whole lot more territory. But then the geniuses, they said, hey, America, give us even longer range stuff. So the Americans are talking about giving them this small bomb, uh, you know, this, this advance at 150 kilometers. Well, all that's going to force the Russians to do is go 150 kilometers in. And now rocket scientists, um, take your little compass, go to the map, get the scale, and then just start drawing the arc rings around the border and see what 150 kilometers is and understand that's pretty much the territory that Ukraine is going to lose forever. That includes Kharkov, probably includes Odessa. Um, you know, this is the end of Ukraine. I think that this, this offensive is going to begin. Uh, it's going to be a surge. And I think... Well, it's not what I think. Who cares what I think? Let's talk about what Zeluzhny or Zelensky thinks. Yeah. Um, both of them have said, I mean, Zeluzhny basically said, if you don't give me everything I want, this, this it's over. He said that in an interview to The Economist. Right. It's over. It's over. Um, what does over mean? It means he lost. It's over. <laughs> and Zelensky has said, if I don't have tanks and airplanes by August, it's over. It's too late. What does that mean? You're going to be beat. They know. They're not stupid. They know what's coming. It's a surge that cannot be stopped. And unless you can pile up a whole bunch of sandbags in the form of F-16s and M1 tanks and Leopard 2 tanks, uh, but they're not going to get those. They're not going to get those in time. Um, and, and even if they got them in time, there's not enough numbers to actually make a difference. You're not going to beat the surge. You might put up a nice little sandbag wall and say, I'm protected. Nope, the surge is going to pull that through, push through, and you're going to drown. And that's what's going to happen to Ukraine. They're going to get swamped. It's over. Dasvidaniya mama. I don't mean to be too flippant here, but I'm, you know, I'm somebody who's been watching this thing, just getting frustrated. And you say, well, why are you getting frustrated, Scott? You don't have, are you frustrated because the Russians aren't winning quick enough? No, I'm not pro-Russia. I mean, I'm a, I believe Russia's on the right side of history. I'm anti-war. I'm not, I mean, I'm not pure anti-war. Look, I've been honest about it. I'm a Marine. And uh, I, 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 I did a tweet that got me in trouble with the, uh, with this rally. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I, uh, someone said, you know, you're, are you anti-war? And I said, no, I'm not anti-war. Um, I, you know, and I, and I, I said, I, I believe that uh, I love puppy dogs. I love dogs, but if there's a rabid dog, it's got to go down and we need Atticus Finches out there to shoot them. And if you know the movie to kill a mockingbird, you know, the scene I'm talking about where Atticus Finch, the, the lawyer is called upon to do the difficult deed of shooting the rabid dog. And then I said, Ukraine is the rabid dog and Russia is Atticus Finch. And I firmly believe that. I think the Zelensky regime is a regime that has empowered uh, the odious neo-Nazi ideology uh, of Stepan Bandera, the national hero. Uh, the Ukrainian armed forces sing songs in his honor. Uh, we can go on and on and on on that. Uh, so I have no sympathy for the Ukrainian government. But my God, my heart bleeds for the Ukrainian people. Not the ones in Western Ukraine. Look, if, you're, if, you, if you put up a statue of Stepan Bandera, F-A-F-O, okay? You're going to find out. It ain't going to end pretty for you guys. I am telling you right now, the surge is coming for you. But it's the people that wanted to live their normal lives, the people that went to work, had a job, have a wife, have kids, have parents, grandparents, and they just wanted to live their lives. And those lives are over. Ukraine is being destroyed right now is a modern nation state. That's something I predicted early on. I said, this war, when it ends, there will not be a Ukraine. It's coming true. They've already lost 20% of their territory. They're getting ready to lose another 
<laughs> I mean, it's mind-boggling how Zelensky claims to be the president who cares about the Ukrainian people, but he's overseeing the dismemberment of his country and the slaughtering. My God, two, 300,000 troops dead. That means that there's a whole bunch of wounded guys, too. And modern combat, wounds aren't, you know, a nick, a scar. You're losing arms, you're losing legs, your brain's addled, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're pooping into a bag. I don't mean to be too graphic here, but hey, guys, you get gut shot. What do you think happens? All right? It ain't the movies. Oh, I die. No, boom, you're gone. Brains out. I mean, it's real, guys. It's real. And they're getting slaughtered. They're getting butchered. Not just the Ukrainians, too. The Russians are suffering casualties. Not on this scale, but the Russians are. There's Russians are suffering more casualties per day than we suffered in the Vietnam War at its height. And it broke the back of America at that time. But the Russians are soldiering on. Um, but this is just tragic. And what makes it even more tragic is the United States and NATO made this war happen. There is only one. That's why when people say, oh, we can't let these people speak at the rally because they're pro-Russian. No, 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 guys. We're just calling it as we see it. This conflict is about good versus evil. And let me tell you right now, the evil out there is the United States. The evil out there is NATO. And if you don't recognize that, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. Because if you're trying to pretend that this war wasn't predicated based upon a decision made in 2008 to invite Ukraine into NATO, then you have no clue what you're talking about. If you don't understand the role played in 2014 in the Maidan coup d'etat, don't call it a revolution, it was a coup d'etat, ousting and how the United States handpicked these people to govern, knowing that they were closely aligned with the neo-Nazis of Sloboda in the, in the right sector, and then turning a blind eye as they declared war on the ethnic Russians. In April, they passed a law calling ethnic Russians terrorists, and they unleashed the Ukrainian army on them. Okay, if you don't understand that, then I don't want to talk with you, because you don't know what you're talking about, and that's half the problem here. All the people out there, they're saying, I'm anti-war, I'm anti-war. They don't know what they're talking about. You don't even know what anti-war means. If you think anti-war means pacifism, you don't have a clue about reality because pacifists die. That's the truth. Pacifists get, get swamped by Hitlers. They get swamped by Imperial German. They get swamped by Banderists. Pacifists need people like me who are willing to step up to the plate, draw the line and say, not one step further or I will slaughter you because I am not a pacifist. I'm a warrior. You want to take me on, you will lose. But I also understand that you have to fight for the right cause. There has to be just cause for this conflict or else war is just murder. War is murder no matter what. Your humans are killing humans. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to mankind is war. We should never want to go to war. But if we do go to war, be on the right side of history and win. What we're doing right now in Ukraine is evil. It's pure evil. We're, we're, we claim to be the friends of the Ukrainian people. We claim to be their friends. And look at what we've done to them. Yeah. If this is friendship, man, I wouldn't want to be in love with the Ukrainian people because God knows what that would turn into. Um, we're not the friends of the Ukrainian people. We don't care about the Ukrainian people. We put the flags on our social media. We put the, we, they fly everywhere. I see the flag. flag. Really, guys? That's how you treat your friends. You let the U.S. government allow them to be slaughtered on the battlefield. You're destroying. There won't be Ukraine when this is done. How much do you love Ukraine? And the answer is you don't. Want to know why? Because you have no clue what Ukraine is. Anybody who puts that flag up there, I can guarantee you, I could interrogate them for five, two minutes. It would be clear they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They don't have any grasp of history. They don't have any understanding of the underlying issues. They just put the flag up there because 
you know, they're trying to, I forget the term that's used when you, uh, when you project that, uh, you know, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm projecting that I'm a good person. You're not a good person. You're a moron.